welcome to the Replay Value Podcast, where we deep dive into the movies we all love to watch over and over again. I'm Phil, joined by my brother from the same mother, our co-host on the West Coast, Warren. What's up, bro? In this episode, we're going to talk about the comedy cult classic, Friday. of this film, it's Friday, and Craig and Smokey, two unemployed best friends, must pay a local drug dealer $200 by 10 p.m. Uh, so let's jump right into it, starting with how did Friday get made? What were its early beginnings? And you got to start with Ice Cube and DJ Pooh, who wrote the script originally. Now, Ice Cube, this was his third script he had written. The first two movies were not made. And Ice Cube and DJ Pooh were... One of the main reasons they wanted to make this movie, what, what got them to write the script, was they weren't happy with how the neighborhoods they grew up in had been portrayed in movies and, and, and more or less had become typecast in the public eye. Uh, you know, the, their neighborhoods were viewed as violent and dangerous, and they wanted a f- movie to come out that focused on the positives of their upbringing of living in their neighborhood. Yeah, you look at the movies that had worked its way into the mainstream with Boys in the Hood and Colors. I mean, most people's impression that didn't have a first-hand experience growing up in those neighborhoods would base their beliefs on what they saw in those movies. And so that lighter, more positive side was something that a lot of people latched onto. Uh, and when Cube wrote it, he he you know he wanted to it to have a high replay value. He wanted this to be a movie that people could enjoy, get comedy in, and come back and revisit time and time again, but also one that pulled from his own real-life experiences growing up in the neighborhood. It's a lot of different stories, and it's a lot of different characters from people I know, you know. Uh, and, I mean, Friday is, I mean, we see these movies about South Central LA, right? You know, you see, okay, the hardcore banger live in that house, the, you know, the, the uh, drug seller, dealer live in that house. What about all the other houses on the block? You know what I'm saying? Who live in those other houses on the block? The the, the people that, that ain't into that thing. So this is just showing one of them houses on the block, you know, that uh that's a that's around all this madness, you know, and to show the world that you know we real people with you know we have fun too. And as the case, whether it's comedy or drama, when you pull from real life experiences, they they tend to be the best stories. Uh, now, after they got the script uh, completed, you know, Ice Cube and DJ Pooh, they, they didn't believe they would get funding for this movie. As inexperienced as they were, you know, they thought they were going to have to to finance it themselves. They did end up approaching New Line Cinema to produce it, which they agreed with one caveat. Uh, the role of Smokey, who was originally going to be played by DJ Pooh, had to be recast by a veteran uh, comedian. Right, and that makes sense. And that's a considering the things that they gave creative control over to to Ice Cube for, that was a, a small concession, I would say. DJ Pooh does end up playing Red in the film that, that you do see, but you know, he had based that character off his own stint as a drug dealer, so he felt, you know, that personal connection to Smokey. Uh, but again, they just want to get their movie made. I mean, they came from considering financing it themselves to shooting it in black and white to save money to picking it up with New Line Cinema. So what really, they that was their best bet. And it ended up being for the best 
uh, for the movie. I mean, is I'm sure DJ Pooh would have been great, but the most memorable part of the film is Smokey and Chris Tucker's performance. I mean, that that so the movie benefited from that uh, New Line Cinema. In hindsight, you know, uh, pretty wise decision. And New Line Cinema empowered Ice Cube, producer, writer, star of the movie, uh, to hire the people he wanted. And uh, I was kind of surprised by how much uh, uh, freedom they gave him. Um, Ice Cube handpicked the director, uh, F. Gary Gray, which was his feature film debut. He was mostly known for music videos, most of which had been Cypress Hill. So I had not done any type of film before, uh, but Ice Cube had a great relationship with him, believed in him, and uh, wanted to give him a chance to, to, to step into films. But his clout as a music video director, and you think about that time in the you know the the nineties, mm-hmm. you would have music videos directors that would they do these huge you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollar project, and it was essentially like a short film. So F. Gary Gray was yeah. very much in the hype. Williams is another director like that, music video right. director who who got really big budgets. So he was really primed to make that transition into Hollywood, and it was that perfect storm of Cube looking for a director. They had a lot of similar experiences as far as their upbringing, uh, and so. Ice Cube felt like he would be a director that could capture the aesthetic, the essence of the neighborhood without needing mm-hmm. a lot of coaching, yeah. like you probably would be with someone that had already been ingrained in the Hollywood system. And what I found surprising, too, is this, I mean, Gary Gray took advantage of this opportunity. After this, he went on to direct Set It Off, The Negotiator, Italian Job, Be Cool, and most recently, MIB International. So the guy has made some really good movies, and of course, including Friday was very young when he directed Friday. In fact, he actually has a cameo as the uh, convenience store clerk that kicks out Ezell <laughs> <Yeah>. with the <laughs> with the room. And you look at me like, man, he's so young. He's a kid. That was the that that's the director of the film. Yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't believe it. Looks younger than than uh, Ice Cube and Smokey, or just about, <laughs> he does. just about the same age. Um, now, production of the movie it was only twenty days. It filmed uh, in South Los Angeles on one hundred and twenty sixth Street, which is the neighbor same neighborhood as uh, the director F. Gary Gray grew up in. So they weren't for the authenticity of shooting in the neighborhood. But man, low budget, twenty days. Uh, a movie of of, of this um, ultimately the finished product to be of this caliber. That's quite impressive. Well, I mean, even with New Line Cinema backing it, it was a limited budget. Uh, you know, they were shooting in a real neighborhood. They paid the the the, the people that lived there, the the, the tenants, uh, like a hundred dollars a day or something like that. And they, you know, they had to deal with some disruptive neighbors. Uh, one notable one is uh, a guy that would shout out uh, every time they would yell action. He'd be like, "This isn't a real film," and other you know, other remarks to kind of deter the, the crew. But uh, it. I am still amazed even with the disruptiveness and what they got done that, I mean, that's a very short shoot time. And I'm sure you can speak to that mm-hmm. more Warren 20 days seems like it's, it's, it's really, really limited. That's yeah, about as short as you're going to get on a feature film. Uh, I mean, this, the fewest days I've heard of is a couple of weeks. I mean, I'm sure there've, there've been ones that have been three and four days, but uh, yeah, 20 days. That's, that's pretty uh, short, uh, uh, principal photography for for a studio film, um, and eat man. They found all different types of ways to to save money. You know, the animal control truck was a a, a it was, they used it to store production equipment there, and it could be right there in frame because it played off as Mr. Oh, wow. Jones' work vehicle. Yeah, uh, but they also used it as a camera riser, which I, I thought was pretty pretty uh, smart thinking. That is, that's very ingenious to do that. Wow. Okay. Uh, I want to talk about the music of this film. A just an incredible soundtrack just the Mm. essence of the mid 90s uh you had of course number one 
as far as sales, the notoriety of the soundtrack, Keep Their Heads Ringing by Dr. Dre, a song that I instantaneously associate with this movie anytime I hear it. It was actually written for the film, which I did not realize at first, but uh, it was just, man, what a banger. Uh, Mary Jane by Rick James, uh, to name another one, and, and there's many more I'm not going to be able to get to. Uh, but it was number one on the Billboard chart, the, the album, the soundtrack as a whole, for two weeks. Oh, shit. Yeah, and then it actually went double platinum within a year of its release. So, I mean, this is a, wow. This is probably a situation where the soundtrack was so good that it probably helped bring attention to the movie itself. And it's like, oh, wow, this is some great music. I want to go watch we, we, it. We've done a lot of good soundtracks in season three. I mean, we just did Top Gun. I mean, we're, we're you know, E.T., you know, we're, we're burning through some uh, some great all-time scores and soundtracks in cinema history. Well, that's part of it. I feel I feel like, you know, that that's, helps to elevate a good movie to greatness is having memorable music. Yeah. And this is no exception. And uh, that'll actually transition us to the stars of the picture. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. And another consistent uh, characteristic in the movies we cover is the casting. So good. Uh, The casting director should have won an Oscar for this movie, which begs the question, why isn't there an Oscar category for casting? That's a great point. Yeah, I mean, I I just don't get it. I mean, best casting. I mean, they what they were going to do a few years ago, the most popular film or whatever. It's just like, Best casting, I mean, it's sitting right there. Yeah, and what we've seen with the films we do is all these casting directors, they they have they do such a great job of discovering stars early in their careers, so they get a lot of talent in their movie at a discount because these guys aren't getting paid their star quotes and rates yet. So the movie certainly benefits from it because you have all these future stars uh, you know, uh, on a discount uh, in your movie. Uh, many of them, it was reported that Ice Cube paid $5,000 out of his pocket to be in the film because so many of them, this was their first credit or a very early credit where they weren't known. Yeah, I was kind of surprised. Ice Cube uh, had, had been in a few big movies before this. Uh, you know, I mean, I knew he had success as an actor, but I just kind of had presumed it started with Friday. But this was his fifth film. Uh, before this, he had done Boys in the Hood in 91 and Higher Learning in 95, which that's another replay value favor. I love Higher Learning. Um, but this was his star vehicle. I mean, he produced it, wrote it. He's the top of the call sheet. He's the lead of the movie. Uh, after this, he's had a prolific career as an actor. Uh, Three Kings, great movie. Uh, the, the Friday sequels uh, and the Barbershop franchise. So many people are lucky to just have success as a musician or an actor. This guy's had major successes both. It's incredible to when that certain people can do that, like The Rock, uh, where you just you're like, oh, how are they going to you know make that transition? And Ice Cube is one of those where he's at the you know the top of the game wherever he goes, whatever industry that he's in, and being able to whether it be directing acting you know comedy i mean i mean that was an impossible feat for some people to pull off that's a lot of the reason they can't transition to acting is the comedy side yeah 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 and and, and f gary gray the director had his concerns about ice cube portraying uh, or playing the lead in his comedic film because ice cube at this point in cinema had been known as a tough guy you know and and so uh again man what just can't say enough about the talent of Ice Cube to be able to step into not only being a musician to step into a movie, but he done dramatic work and and, and act, you know tough guy roles, and and here he is playing you know a, a comedic lead, unbelievable. Of course, Chris Tucker as Smokey, breakout role, the biggest benefactor of this movie. Ice Cube saw him in Def Comedy Jam and knew that he was the right actor for the role. 
surprisingly, New Line Cinema gave him, you know, carte blanche and said, hey, go pick out a comedian. And that's where he found him, like you said, Def Comedy Jam. But even though he was the first choice of Ice Cube, he goes into the audition, probably a formality that it's like, all right, let's just see if you can do it for, you know, for the studio. He goes in and he, he bombs the audition. He does not do well at all. But because they wanted him so much, uh, they gave him another shot and he he took it very seriously. He hired an acting coach and was going to do a workshop, uh, ended up going out to dinner with his acting coach and they went over the character of Smokey. And by the end of the night, he had developed it and made it his own, came back in, crushed it. They knew he had the talent and I'm willing to bet he just didn't have a lot of credits. I mean, at that point he'd only done house party three, you know, even though he'd been a comedian on stage acting in front of a camera, it's a different game. And it probably was a combination of him just getting relaxed uh, with that setting. And, and cause he had the talent once he got relaxed, I'm, you know, it, it, he was off to the races. And from what I've heard talent, I mean, you could have the talent, you can be a great actor, but that is independent from actually being good at auditioning. That's a whole separate skill set. Oh, yeah, you can be a great actor and be a shitty auditioner and vice versa. There's guys that are great in the room and then you book it and they're, they book it and they're like, oh, shit. <laughs> now, now, now I got to do it. <laughs> that would be, oh, that's probably going to be the worst for a director. It's like, what have we done? We've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> and before we move on, have to go ahead and anoint Chris Tucker as Smokey as the MVP of Friday, the most valuable performance. Uh, he's the most quotable, the most memorable. He steals every scene that he's in. I mean, there are so many laugh out loud moments, which is really rare to have in a movie, and he has a handful of them as Smokey. So, uh, Got to give it to Chris Tucker. Uh, and you, as I said, he's the biggest breakout star from this movie. I mean, he would go on to do the Rush Hour trilogy, uh, immensely successful, and one of my personal favorites, even though a small role, Jackie Brown. Oh, that's right. He is in that. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah Samuel Jackson kills him like 15 minutes <laughs> in the movie, but uh, yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, he, he is the heart of the comedy of this movie, which mm-hmm. is really what is, makes it so enjoyable. I mean, even scenes where other people are funny. He's the catalyst for it. Uh, I mean, he he made it, he makes it very easy for Craig uh, and Ezel to bounce off of. Even the scene with like Bernie Mac, who really needs no help at all, but he is there in every scene. He's present in the comedy. Uh, he is uh, again the, the focal point of it. Yeah, I mean, you, you can't pick anyone else. Uh, Chris Tucker makes this movie pop. He elevates it to another level. And again, the genius of New Line Cinema, knowing that, that how important that role was and to make sure they had the right comedian in the part. Moving on to Nia Long as Debbie. This is her fourth movie. I really love her work in this film. She's not in a lot of scenes, but uh, the scene that really stands out to me is when she stands up to Debo. She's, she's got such strong intention and conviction so talented, you know she's going to go on to do bigger uh, and, and brighter things, and she did. I mean, after this, In Too Deep, Best Man, Boiler Room, personal favorite of ours. Uh, and even before this, man, she was in Boys in the Hood, too. Uh, and uh, and she was in Made in America. So she'd been in some big movies before this, and she went on to be in a lot more. A great actress, and man, talk about finding a gem in there with the casting. Yeah, and that's not the only one. Another gem in this cast, John Witherspoon as Mr. Jones. Man, this guy gets my <laughs> six-man award if I had it. Uh, yeah. He's most memorable performance in the movie, second to only Chris Tucker Smokey. He's so fantastic. Uh, when we get to best scenes, he definitely has he shines in a few moments. But he unfortunately passed away in 2019 uh, w- with 83 credits. So that guy, I mean, uh, we miss him, and uh, he was in a lot of great movies. 
there's so many roles in this film where you're like, oh, it's the the dad from Friday or it's Debo from Friday. Mm-hmm. Even the, the, any other film you see him in, and Mr. Jones, John Witherspoon, that's one of. The other one is who I mentioned, um, uh, Terry Lister, I think is his name, um, uh, as Debo. Tommy Lister. Tommy Lister, excuse me. Uh, Tommy Tiny Lister. There you go, his nickname, yeah. Um, so you, you, he's had other film credits, but every time you see him, you're like, oh, it's Debo from Friday. Well, he's credited as a tattoo prisoner in The Dark Knight. And when you see him, you're like, oh, shit, it's Debo. Yeah, the one that he's like, give, give it to me. Let me do it. You know, thinking he's going to blow it up and he you know, throws it out the window. Uh, Nobody does anything because what are they going to do? It's fucking Debo. Yeah, it's Debo. What are you going to do? Craig ain't yeah, there yeah. to kick his ass. Yeah. We talked about Chris Tucker being the biggest benefactor from the cast, but... No doubt, the actor who went on to be the most have the most prolific and successful career from this movie is none other than Regina King, Oscar winner, Emmy winner, one of my favorite actresses. I've never seen her be bad in anything. She is good in everything she's in. Uh, before this, Boys in the Hood in '91, Higher Learning in '95, Poetic Justice in '93, uh, and then after this, uh, Seven Seconds. She won the Emmy. If Beale Street Could Talk, she won the Oscar. Of course, Jerry Maguire, Ray, and most recently, Watchmen. I mean, so she is just, um, <laughs> she's killing it. Another great actor uh, that we lost too early, man, Bernie Mac, great comedian. Uh, after this, he'd go on to have his own sitcom and, of course, the Oceans trilogy, very memorable role of Frank Catton. Is that it? Uh, from, from Oceans 11. Yeah, yeah. You know, I got to mention two uh, actors for you before we move on. Uh, they both made their unaccredited debuts in this movie, Megan Good. And Michael Clark Duncan. Michael Clark Duncan's in Friday? Yeah. Yeah, he uh, plays one of the uh, guys uh, uh, playing cards or shooting dice, whatever they're doing when uh, before Debo knocks the guy out. Oh, in the black and white scene? In that scene? flashback scene. Yeah, yeah, oh. when DJ Pooh, yeah, Ray gets knocked out. <laughs> and, uh, I had no idea that was him. Holy cow, wow. Yeah, yeah. And yet another actor that we lost too soon. Let's talk about the stats and accolades of Friday. Release date, April 26th, 1995. Our sister's birthday, actually. Uh, it, on a budget of $3.5 million opening weekend, it pulled in six and a half million, which may sound like a low number, but that was only in 865 theaters. It was good for number two that week. The number one movie while you were sleeping, a uh, Bill Pullman, mm. Sandra Bullock rom-com only yeah. pulled in, only pulled in 10 million and uh, almost double the theaters. And that I was, don't think while you were sleeping was a rom-com. I think that was a thriller, right? Well, it's rated PG. Okay, maybe, maybe not. Yeah, um, and you know, and again, Friday rated R, so that's another thing that would kind eh. of think. Yeah, um, so domestically, it did go on to pull in twenty seven point four million. Not much of an international release, so worldwide, it pulled uh, twenty eight point two million, but well above its the budget of three and a half million. Like I said, yeah, it made its money, and box office rank for the year was sixty six. Uh, with a runtime of an hour and thirty one minutes, that's kind of contributes to its replay value. And the rating R, as you said, but not for any violence. The body count is zero. Well, I think that was intentional that even though there is like some shooting scenes, it's like nobody dies. There's, you know, I think it's almost there's like some comedy to it. Like when Chris Tucker is on the roof shooting the pistol back. Uh, whenever yeah. the, the, the people you're never me. worried about whether they're okay or not. Like yeah. the way the tone of the movie, you're never concerned for their safety. Uh, but uh, what, the big reason it got an R rating was uh, the F-bomb. Fuck you! Uh, 90 times. Scores of the film, Rotten Tomatoes 78%, Metacritic 54. 
Uh, so mixed reviews, mostly positive. Critics uh, highlighted uh, the performances, the comedic sequences, and the writing. Awards of the film, only one win, an all-deaf movie award for the most quoted movie. What a great award. I love that That's that, that is a choice, uh, the most quoted film of that could win. This movie could win the the All Decade Award. Yeah, for that's, most a, that's a fitting. Film. Yeah, that's a fitting award. When I heard that, I was like, Oh yeah, it makes sense. Uh, five nominations, two other Deaf Movie Awards, and three MTV Movie Awards. Music of the Year, nineteen ninety five. The Billboard uh, Year End Top One Hundred. The number one song, Gangsta's Paradise by Coolio. Mm. An, an incredible song, man. What a jam. I, yeah. Yeah. It, it, of course, it's been parodied by Weird Al most famously. <laughs> The Grammy Record of the Year winner, Kiss from a Rose by Seal, which we have talked about many times in 1995. That, Batman Forever. Yeah, you can't talk about that year without uh, thinking of that song. Uh, and again, another banger. Movies of the Year, number one box office hit was Die Hard with a Vengeance, followed by Toy Story, Apollo 13, and Batman Forever. Best Picture Oscar winner, my all-time favorite, Braveheart. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man. Worst Picture Razzie winner, Showgirls. <laughs> oh, poor Jesse Spano. What a horrible movie. TV of the Year, 1995. Nielsen's number one scripted TV show was ER, followed by Seinfeld and Friends. The Best Drama Series Emmy winner, NYPD Blue. The Best Comedy Series Emmy winner, Frasier. Prices of the Year, 1995. Gas was $1.09. A movie ticket was $4.35, and a stamp was $0.32. Cents. And events of the year, Michael Jordan returns to the NBA, O.J. Simpson is acquitted, the DVD is announced, and Windows 95 is released. All right, moving on to our best scenes and lines from Friday. Uh, I know lines is going to be chock full, again, very quotable, but let's start with our best scenes with your runner-up, Warren. Yeah, man. Uh Narrowed it down here. Uh, not the easiest movie to do it with, which uh, it's usually the case. Uh, Runner-up best scene is when Smokey gets high on the porch. You a hype. What? You a hype. Man, ain't nothing wrong with smoking weed. Weed is from the earth. God put this here for me and you. Take advantage, man. Take and it's Smokey being Smokey. It's when Mrs. Jones first goes to work. You know, we got the you know the, the music or the song "Take Me to Paradise" playing, and we're just getting like a montage of Smokey, you know, hitting the joint in almost every conceivable way. <laughs> uh, but it's a really it's a really fun, enjoyable scene, and uh, you know, it's the MVP doing what he does best, getting high. It is funny <laughs> to watch him get high, even if you don't smoke. It's like you can find the the humor in it. Uh, just how many different ways he's got two at the same time and and just the looks that he's giving. The way he Chris. moves his shoulders, almost yes. like a boxer. It's yeah. so silly, man. Yeah, it's great. The dances. Yeah, that's good. Um, my runner-up is actually near the end of the film. It is uh, essentially the, the cl- part of the climax. It's after the shootout when Craig finally goes toe-to-toe with Debo. And I ain't even trying to fight you, Debo. You've had so much buildup with Debo. Debo being the bully of the neighborhood, Craig wanting to use the gun. Hey, Zell, I know you want to fight me because you ain't a bit of a bitch, too! What you gonna do with that? Besides make me mad. Put the gun down, son. Ah! You kind of get the fake 
the false ending where he does shoot Debo, uh, but then he kicks his ass the real way. Put that gun down, son. And get knocked out like your father used to. Give me the gun, son. Craig. Craig. Give me, give me the gun. Give me the gun, Yeah, yeah, but there's something very truthful about the moment after he gives the gun to his dad and Craig stands there and he's just, him and Deeper are looking at each other and it's just like, who's going to throw the first punch? And Craig just kind of is like, fuck it. Just as the way his body language is, it's the lead going up against a guy that he might get his ass kicked, but he just decides, I don't care, I'm doing it anyway. It's such a great moment that the, the it, and Ice Cube captures it perfectly. Who knows how many years Debo has been plaguing the neighborhood, and if Craig wasn't going to do it then in front of everybody after Debbie had just gotten hit, no one was ever going to do it. So, yeah, just just a great moment. Um, mm. All right, so what was your winner? My winner. <laughs> it's when Mr. Jones, it's the first time we meet him, well, now when he's sleeping and he's like, give me all the uh, French fries you can give me. But it's <laughs> when he, <laughs> but it's when he uh, walks in the kitchen and finds Craig in the refrigerator. Every time I come in the kitchen, you're in the kitchen. In the goddamn refrigerator, eating up all the food, all the chicken. All the pig feet, all the collard green, all the hog maws. I want to eat some of them chitlins. I love pig feet. And now, when I went to bed last night, didn't I tell you to take out the trash? Yeah. So why didn't you do it? I fell asleep. I wish you were sleeping right now. I'll knock you upside your head with a left hook, make your ass wake up and take out that damn trash. Hey, 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 hey. What are you doing? I'm throwing this away. We ain't even got no milk. You better put some water on that damn shit. Oh, man. It's so, it's, it's so hilarious. And uh, you just get a sense of, like, the family life that Craig goes through. First, his mom makes this, like, great breakfast for herself, selfishly. And then he's got his dad, you know, you better put some water on that damn shit. Well, it's funny. Uh, <laughs> the dad says it, and then the mom doesn't make him breakfast, even though he thinks he's going to. I always love that because he sees what she's cooking, and he's just like, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then realizes that, you know, it's not for him. And she's oh, you know, go make yourself up a cereal. He's like, we ain't got no milk. And she's, that <laughs> and she's just like, oh, just you know, make yourself a bowl. So he's like, we ain't got no milk. He's like, I'll just pour some water on it. Like, that's a normal thing. And <laughs> I think it's just very relatable. Everyone growing up, we feel like we've been in those situations with our parents. Probably none to that extreme. But they kind of make fun. Yeah, they make fun of the fact like he lives with his parents and he's not getting any help. Yeah, uh, that that's a great choice. Um, my winner, and I felt like I did this for, for my runner-up and my winner. I kind of went with less comedy, more seriousness. Uh, my winner is the one-on-one uh, that Craig had with his dad in the bedroom uh, when he pulls out the gun from the drawer. What's that for? Protection. Protection? Protection from who? Yeah, Smokey. I got to walk Smokey down to his house. Oh, man. Your mother and I never would have moved in this neighborhood if we had known you need a gun to walk down the damn street. You know how it is around here. 
Oh, no, son, that's not the way it is. You kids today are nothing but punks. Sissified. So quick to pick up a gun. You're scared to take an ass whipping. This one makes you a man. When I was growing up, this was all the protection we needed. You win some, you lose some. But you live. You live to fight another day. And, you know, you have had this comedic, almost butt of the joke in every scene he's in. And Mr. Jones, you know, played by John Witherspoon. And, and you just look at him as comedy. But in that moment, he, like, steps up the drama side and... Man, it's such a powerful scene. I think between- that's the dad in you picking that. That's what I think. Because this is Probably. a comedic movie, and I think he saw like a character be a good dad in a moment in a way you would want to be, and, and you identified with it. I can, but I can also appreciate that even though that this dynamic they have with everything else and the serial and the one-on-one converse, you know, the one-on-one conversations and the shitter, it's like, you know, they get they can have this serious moment and this bonding and this, this yeah. lesson that's, that is taught. The more believable ones is one of my honorable mentions is where, you know, the, the dad is, t- <laughs> Mr. Jones is taking a shit and he calls his son in the bathroom. I feel like I do that now. Oh, that's one of my honorable mentions. It, no, but it, I love how he calls him in. It's like, it's his office. Where you at? In the bathroom. Man, I'll wait till you come out. Boy, bring your ass off up in here. What you talking about? You wait till I come out. I smelt your shit for 22 years. Now you can't smell mine for five minutes. Shut the door. <clears throat> now, your mama told me what happened to you yesterday. What? That was stupid. How the hell are you gonna get fired on your day off? I don't know. <clears throat> And you know what really makes it funny is that, and I didn't remember this, he does it twice. Like the first time in the beginning, it might just be happenstance. Like, hey, son, come in here. I heard something. You know, but no, no, no. It happens later in the movie, which leads uh, verifies to the audience that this is a regular thing. Mr. Jones takes a shit, and then he calls in Craig. And it's not even enough that he talks to him. I mean, you hear Mr. Jones struggling through his bowel movement as he, in mid sentence, as he's, you know, giving uh, pearls of wisdom to Craig. Yeah. And, and even with Craig's body language, him just standing there with, you know, the, the, the hand over his nose and mouth, it's like he's done this many, many, many times. Yeah. Um, did you have any other honorable mentions? Yeah. Uh, Real quick, honorable mention, it was when Debbie runs by, and it's her first appearance, but the movie just stops for a second. Uh, Time stands still in the film. All the characters are in a trance, and we see Debbie, and we know she's going to have a bigger role later in the film, but uh, it's just a moment that takes your breath away. And my last honorable mention... And I probably should have said it after we talk because it, it's shitting, uh, kind of bringing it back with uh, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Jones, is when Smokey needs to shit. And he's oh. like running, running around to different houses, and then he just ends up shitting in the bushes. And then you got the great line from his ale. Hey, Smokey back here taking a shit. He's Well, I ain't going to tell nobody else. <laughs> <laughs> I won't tell nobody else. You know. <laughs> yeah. That's great. I love that dynamic between the two of them, yeah. All right, so let's talk about our best lines. Uh, again, there will be many, and we will go overboard with the honorable mentions, but I will start with my runner-up, and it is a line that was actually improv on the set during rehearsals, which Ice Cube did give the actors freedom to do uh, improv outside of the script. Uh, it was one of Smokey's line after Debo gets hit is, You got knocked the fuck out, man! 
That's my winner. That's your winner. Oh. Yeah. Well, uh, you know the old expression. Did we just become best friends? Nope. Yeah, it's it's uh one of the more quotable lines from the movie. You hear it kind of getting uh, we spoof it in life because it's not very often we're standing over someone after they get knocked out. We usually say it in a different circumstance. But uh, so so what was your runner up then? My runner up best line. What you know about gang? I got all the gang. And you know, Mrs. Jones is just like now your father. He got game. <laughs> I, I can't believe that was your 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 runner up. My my winner was the scene or the line that directly comes after that, and it's when Mr. Jones comes in and he says, "Don't nobody go in the bathroom for about 35, 45 minutes." Somebody open the window. <laughs> I, I don't know. Just the, the, the it's the comedy there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's 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 just great comedy. Yeah, of course, you know, I think that is also an insanely quotable line that many of us have said anytime, you know, we've had a a particularly courageous attempt in the bathroom. Um, All right, so let's get into our honorable mentions. Um, I'll start with mine. Uh, One of mine is Ezell when he is in the convenience store and he slips and falls and he's pretending to, you know, try to get a lawsuit or something free. And he's like, Man, get your punk ass up. It ain't even wet over here. I just love his delivery of that, especially at the end where he's just like, but we'll sell it right now for about $20. <laughs> he's just, <laughs> just, well, no, it's just his ale doing what he's got to do to get by. Remember when they're on the way inside the store? It's, he's like, come on, Smokey, buy me says It's my birthday. And Smokey's like, it's your birthday? Well, when's your birthday? And he's like, uh-huh. <laughs> you can tell he's just bullshitting. <laughs> So Doing he'll say he anything for two dollars. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, and uh, another honorable mention I had was an, one that's worked its way into meme culture even today. It was another improv line by Craig. By Felicia. Yeah, and his son O'Shea Jackson says that twice in Straight Outta Compton. It's kind of a shout oh, out. Yeah. Wow, nice. bring, bringing a full circle there. Uh, a couple honorable mentions I had the 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 Isaiah one. Uh, one you had. Um, Another quotable one. Hold up, you fucking up the rotation. Puff, puff, give. <coughs> puff, puff, give. <coughs> fucking up the rotation. You can get killed with somebody else. That's some serious shit. You lucky you, my boy. Uh, and then when Smokey's, uh, you know, trying to get rid of uh, Janet Jackson, I mean, more like Freddie Jackson, he's like, <laughs> he's like, don't ever, 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 ever come by here. Okay. And then my last honorable mention, it's Smokey, big surprise, most quotable character in the movie, is... And you know this, man! Oh, uh, yeah, that, in, that closes out the film. That's good, yeah. Yeah, he says I, it a few times. I just have a few more. I, 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 these are my favorites. I didn't There's want to so many. Out. There's so many, and we're going to miss some. But uh, is uh, Craig's girlfriend, uh, whenever he, she's on the phone, and he, she's like... You ain't got to lie, Craig. You ain't got to lie. Ain't nobody lying. I didn't go to the show last night. Yes, you did. Because my sister-in-law's baby cousin, Tracy, she told me she went to the show last night. She saw you there all hugged up with some giraffe. Now tell me who she was. <laughs> I love the way she says that. Yeah. Uh, a line by Big Worm. Playing with my money is like playing with my emotions. And then uh, the exchange with Bernie Mac, who is just, man, is just great in the small role that Pitch he perfect. has in that film. Oh, it's so great. Excuse me, brother. What we call drugs is 74th Street Baptist Church. We call us sin and sin, sin. 
Well, around here, between Normandy and Weston, we call this here a little twin and twin twin. Wow. Nigga. Why don't you just give me a little bit for my cataract? You didn't put in on this, man. And lastly is when Smokey tells Craig, I know you don't smoke weed. I know this. But I'm going to get you high today. Because it's Friday. You ain't got no job. And you ain't got shit to do. Which I feel is like the tagline of the film. Moving on to Judge Bob's recasting court, where Warren and I recast the film with today's stars. All rise for the Honorable Judge Bob presiding. Gentlemen, you may be seated. Recasting court is now in session. Today's hearing will determine a recasting victor in the case of the genre-busting sleeper hit of 1995, Friday. Counselors, looked over your notes. Look forward to hearing your arguments. Let's get right into it. And we're going to start with the character of Big Worm. Be hearing an argument between Lavelle Crawford versus Brian Tyree Henry. I'd like to hear the argument for Brian Tyree Henry to start this off. Brian Tyree Henry, I feel like, you know, you look at his role in Atlanta, what he's done there. It almost like, even when I first watched that show, I felt like it's just like, I could see him in like a Faison love type of the, the big worm type persona, uh, where he would be someone who is threatening it, but at the same time, you really wouldn't quite know where he's coming from all the time. And, um, Warren, I take it you have Lavelle Crawford. Let's hear your argument. Uh, yeah, Lavelle Crawford, uh, most notably portrayed Huel on Breaking Bad. He, I, I, the moment I had to recast Big Worm, he's the first actor that came to mind. I mean, he's really funny. He's got the comedic chops, and I think he would. Uh, Big Worm isn't in the movie a lot, but I think uh, he's got the talent uh, to pull it off and bring something new to it. I do love that choice as Lavelle Crawford. I can't believe I didn't think of that because I love Breaking Bad. It's almost he's so good. It's like he would be the real life Big Worm, and Faison Love is like who he's portraying mm. the, mm-hmm. that the movie version. Yeah. So I, I, hats off. That that is a great choice. However, Brian Tyree Henry also very good. So a tough yeah, choice I mean, to judge. Yeah, pick your poison, Your Honor. Well, I'd say typically when you um, ride the uh, the Marvel you know universe thing there, Phil, it pays off for you. But this time. There's something about Lavelle Crawford. I think he's perfect for the role. I think he steps mm, into that yeah. character just amazingly. So Lavelle Crawford, hands down, that, that was a great casting one. Next on the call sheet, we're going to look at Dana. And we have Letitia Wright versus Issa Rae. I'd like to hear the argument for Letitia Wright. Uh, again, pulling from the Marvel bucket with Black Panther, she plays uh, you know uh, Suri in that. Um, the, the, the sassiness is there, but also the the heightened level of intelligence who is, you know, almost, you know, knows everyone's secrets is she, I mean, she's just got life figured out, but not in like a precocious teenager type of way. And someone that you really believe she's got life figured out, which is perfectly fits the Dana character. And Warren moving in with this. Yeah. Uh, I just gotta say Letitia Wright, I'm a huge, I'd be president of her fan club. So I'm not going to knock that casting at all. I love her in the role, but um, I feel like uh, Issa Rae, you know, she is like Ice Cube in a way. Uh, is uh, you know, produce stars, writes. She is a um, you know, do it all uh, filmmaker, and she would be ideal. I think she's really perfect playing the sister because, like you said, the character has to g- give off that they have their life together, that they've just got it put together in ways that then the ways that Craig doesn't right. And I think Issa Rae would just personify that. Uh, and that's why I think she'd be a, a perfect fit. Phil, would you like to counter? 
Um, I love Issa Rae. I've watched every episode of Insecure. It's a fantastic show. However, I almost see her more of like, she is like, uh, like almost like the Craig type of character. Like sure. I would like to see sure. a, a remake of Friday with Issa Rae sure. as Craig. You could, uh, so I, but you see her in Little, a feature I loved her in. She was very much the supporting character to, uh, to, to the lead. Yeah, and, but I just don't see her as I just don't see her as a little sister that like that type of dynamic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so teacher writes writes great. Like I said, I love her. She's so good in Black Panther, uh, being sassy and sarcastic and just having it put together. And she knows something you don't. Um, so I, I love the sassiness of her. But again, Issa Rae it, it has that more. Uh, uh, I, I feel like. She feels like she would be related to Craig. Like she feels like she's part of uh, the Jones family, and I could just be see her being the most successful Jones in the household. Like of all the Jones, she's the one that's going to go to college. I think there is a certain naivety that comes with Dana, and it's not so much being the little sister. Sometimes the older sibling can still have that perceived naivety, but there's also the wisdom that comes with that character. She's got to have both of them, kind of. You know, that wittiness, that character that's going to bring. I think uh, Letitia Wright is an, a fantastic casting. So, Phil, you're yes. going to take this one. Good job. Good job. Nice. Next on the docket, we're going to hear an argument for Mrs. Jones, and you guys did not make this easy on me. I have Taraji P. Henson versus what Time Magazine labeled in 2019 one of the 100 most influential people in the world, Miss Regina King. I'd like to hear the argument for Taraji P. Henson. Uh, well, Taraji Henson, I mean, uh, is there a more direct, matter-of-fact actress uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> out there? I mean, she is perfect for Mrs. Jones. Uh, she has this uh, motherly quality to her, but at the same time, like, yeah, breakfast is for me. Fuck off. Uh, you know, she, she's she got this um, – th- 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 I just think she'd be great. And it, it probably would bring a, a, maybe a little something extra or different to Mrs. Jones that we didn't see in the original. And Phil? Regina King? Yeah, <laughs> Regina King. Actually, to be honest, my first the first thought that I had was Taraji P. Henson. And I always think of the scene where she is getting ready to get in her car and she like waves to Mrs. Parker and it's like, okay, call me later. You know, like <laughs> yeah. that fake, that fakeness that she has with the neighbor and like Taraji P for all of her badassness, she could put on the facade of, you know, the pretending to be that that the kind neighbor mm, to a, yeah. a woman she really doesn't doing, respect playing like. two notes at once uh yeah, she's really right. good at doing yeah that being said regina king could as well clearly i mean a very talented actress uh i i really just wanted to get clever and like oh i can recast dana in the in the, the mrs jones role so yeah i almost did yeah. that with drew barrymore et almost made her the mom yes yeah, so i i get where you, yeah it's not it's not not bad thinking I think Warren came off the top shelf here with Taraji P. Henson, so we'll not be hearing yeah. any count arguments. Warren takes this one. All right. Well done. Well done. Mr. Jones will be our tiebreaker, should we need one. And you guys have really, really outdone yourself here. We're going to hear an argument for Eddie Murphy versus Dave Chappelle. I hate my job. I hate my job. Let's hear the <laughs> argument for Dave Chappelle. <laughs> Uh, Dave Chappelle, okay, not only is he a great, great comedian, one of the all-time great stand-ups, and also one of the all-time great sketch comedy uh, shows ever in The Chappelle Show. Like, he is fantastic as a comedian. He's also a really good actor. And he had, so he, I think he could play the really funny comedic parts of, of, of Mr. Jones, 
you know, walking in, finding Craig in the kitchen, uh, you know, talking about grabbing a dog, all that stuff. Dave Chappelle, he hits his uh, the, the comedic dialogue like he has a musical delivery to it, much the same way Chris Tucker does with Smokey. I, Dave Chappelle's that high level of a comedian. He would do that with the dialogue. But also, Dave Chappelle's played serious. You know, most recently, A Star is Born. He plays the best friend of Jackson Maine. I could see him also having those moments where he's talking to his son about being a man and not using the gun. So I think Dave Chappelle, hands down, the, the, the best actor for the role. Yeah, and Phil, Eddie Murphy. Actually, a lot of the same reasons he listed for Dave Chappelle is why I feel Eddie Murphy would be a great fit. I'll, I, to me, Eddie Murphy can more believably portray someone that has a job that he's gone to and hated for 20 years, which I would maybe not necessarily see with Dave Chappelle, even with all his uh, talent that he absolutely has to execute the role. Um, uh, And you talk about the serious side of it too. You know, he's had more serious roles in like something like dream girls. So he could have that one-on-one conversation with Craig. So it's, I think it's two sides of the same coin. Uh, If to to use a turn of phrase there, it's like, you know, which comedian do you feel would be the better fit? But for a lot of the same reasons, they're both great. And, uh, Warren, would you like to make a counter against Eddie Murphy in this role? I mean, I think Eddie Murphy would be great. I, I, I'm not going to argue against Eddie Murphy. I mean, that's, it'd almost be blasphemous. Uh, I just think Dave Chappelle is better suited. Uh, Mr. Jones is very much a sketch type of character in a lot of his scenes. He's kind of a, a, a caricature. Sure. Uh, so I, I think for that very reason, Chappelle is, uh, again, both would be great, but I, I, I got to give it to Chappelle. So, Phil, did you want to make a counter against Dave Chappelle? I, 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 I'm afraid I can't, Your Honor. I rest my case. I think that when we look at this and, and where the world's turning right now, this is Eddie Murphy's character to have all day long. I think that he is just the low-hanging fruit on this. However, Dave Chappelle gets this. Yeah. Dave oh, Chappelle wow. gets this. The intrigue. I think there's a depth to it. I, I mean, Eddie could do it too, but I don't know. Eddie seems like he would get it. Dave's the one that should get it. In my court... Dave Chappelle is getting Mr. Jones. All right. Well done by both of you. Well done by both of you, though. Uh, next on the call sheet is the character, childhood favorite of us all, I'm sure, Debo. We're going to hear an <laughs> argument between Winston Duke and Terry Crews. <laughs> let's, let's hear the argument for Mr. Pex himself, Terry Crews. Well, very much in the same way that Dave Chappelle is a great cocktail combination of comedy chops and acting chops I think Terry Crews has that the comedy chops and the intimidation factor but it it curls more towards comedy and I think it would actually be more suited for the role also let's not it would be funnier that Terry Crews' character is still hanging out in the neighborhood. I actually think it would be funnier. <laughs> you know, like, he's, he's still, you know, it's like 30 years he's just been hanging out, uh, you know, uh, still still in bikes and shit. I, I think that's funnier. Uh, so, and I think Terry Crews is so talented and so fantastic. Uh, I, I, I just want to see him play Debo. Yeah. I, I would love, I would love nothing more. Uh, Terry Crews is hilarious. I love him in Brooklyn Nine Nine, but he's almost like too comedic. Like with Debo, you have to sure. have the real sense of the threat. And with with Terry Crews, it's like it's almost too much comedy there. I do like the angle though. He's just been in the neighborhood for thirty years. Like especially the line where he's just like, "Yeah, come fight and get your ass kicked like your dad used to." He's he's probably the guy who was kicking his yeah. dad's ass. He went, to high school, he went to high school with his dad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that being said, um, Winston Duke, though, you know, again, a Black Panther alum, 
he does have the the the, the dude the, Winston the threat. Duke, the whole neighborhood's just gonna scatter. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> An actor that could pull off the 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 little comedy that is required from Debo, but one that you could believe that like, oh, someone or everyone in the neighborhood is is afraid of this guy. I think if you put Terry Crews in this role, he gets his own spinoff. I mean that that's character <laughs> development. Fair enough. In its own. Yeah, fair I mean, enough. He gets uh, his own, he gets his own prequel movie. Yeah, you could go. That. I like both of these so much, guys. I literally split it on the height. Uh, Winston Duke is six five. Terry Crews is six two. Winston is a towering, a towering, towering man. So, uh, Phil, get rewarded for your uh, your Marvel. This time around. No, actually, well, thank you. I do want I do want to see, see the movie though with Terry Cruz's Debo, but I want it to be the prequel where <laughs> yeah. he is the degeneration that kicks his Craig's dad's ass. But so we have Dave Chappelle and, and Terry, and we we'll use the Irishman <laughs> uh, de aging technology on Terry right. Cruz. But, yeah. but listen, <laughs> but listen, because Friday it's a prequel, prequel of Friday. No, but and you know what we call it? We call it Thursday. Thursday. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Or it'd probably be the Friday before. Based on how they've titled the franchise, it'd be the Friday before. All right. So moving on to the character of Debbie, we're going to hear an argument of Kiki Palmer versus Zazie Bates. I'll hear the argument for Zazie Bates first. I I can't say enough about the talent of this actress. I mean, you've seen her in in the Deadpool movie. She had a small role in Joker. Uh, Also uh, an alumni from the Atlanta television show. Uh, Just one where you look at, she is capable and brave in the the same way that Nia Long was uh, with the Debbie role in the original Friday. And this is just, she would just elevate that role in the way that it needs to be elevated. Sure. Sure. And Warren with Kiki Palmer. Well, I, I, you know, I love Zazie Beats. I'm just casting her in Top Gun. She was on the, the short list. Uh, so I, I love her work, but Kiki Palmer, uh, I thought of Zoe Kravitz and Zendaya, but uh, Kiki Palmer, she could stop traffic and break your heart. While she does it, uh, just in the same way when Debbie runs through the scene in the begin near the beginning of the movie, uh, Kiki Palmer takes your breath away, but she's also a strong, tough character uh, who could stand toe to toe with Debo uh, at the end of the film. So I think Kiki Palmer w- would be great uh, as Debbie. No, I, I think um, I think both of these girls are getting into both of these actors, I should say, are getting into uh, era that their name recognition. You guys, this is a coin toss between the two. It really is. Uh, I think that uh, Zazie Bates has a certain look that's a little bit different, um, and it, I think it fits this role a little better. So I did go with Zazie Bates, although both of these guys, great casting. She's also probably got a little bit bigger name cachet at this point, uh, even though Kiki Palmer has got just as much potential, I think. Uh, but, you know, given her oh, high-profile yeah. Deadpool, the Joker movies, I mean, more people know who she is. She would also believably kick Debo's ass because Zazie Bates would, so. We're getting into the top of the call sheet, and um, you guys have really got your your work cut out for you. Uh, we're going to look at the character next of Smokey, and we'll hear an argument for Jay Farrow or Tyler James Williams. I'd like to hear the argument for Jay Farrow first. Uh, Jay Farrow, one of my favorite SN- actors on SNL when he was on it. Uh, his Obama uh, impersonation was so good, as were dozens of others that he did on the show, hence him being one of my favorites. Uh, but he's got the comedic range. He's very gifted. And I think there's maybe six or seven actors you could cast as Smokey, and Jay Farrow is one of them. He is, absolutely. And uh, Phil, Tyler James Williams? I was looking at a comedian that is you know up and coming, not 
really, really too well known by the mainstream, but someone that could, you know, have like the, not just be doing an impression, but also like inhabit a character. I feel like um, that that is important for the Smokey. It's got to be something that you would make your own and not base it upon anyone else. And I feel like Tyler James Williams has the comedic background uh, to do just that in the way Chris Tucker did. Absolutely. And it was a reach on the casting, I thought, by you. And a good reach. Uh, Disney alum, Jay Farrow, SNL. I see Jay Farrow as everybody that he impersonates, mm-hmm. though. Yeah, and that's the that's the hardest thing about being such a talented impersonator is that when you think of him, you think of his Obama or his Jay Z or his different things. And so when I think of Tyler James Williams, I do see his eyes and expression, and there's so much about his personality on screen that he brings as himself, not as an impersonation of somebody else. So for that reason alone, I thought that Tyler James Williams, the reach, actually takes this one. Well done, Ooh, nice. Well done. Thank you. Well done. Yeah. Thank you. All right. So, as we go into Craig, that's going to put uh, Warren with three and Phil with four. Warren, you got, you got it in you tonight? You got a little yeah. Brady in your I, back I do, pocket? I, I do have the tiebreaker uh, in my back pocket. Oh, with Mr. Jones. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. But uh, is, is the goat going to show up? I know you got a habit of doing that. Uh, going into the uh, character of Craig, we're going to hear the argument for Daniel Kaluuya versus Lakeith Stanfield. It's the battle. Of get out. Hmm. I hear the argument for Lakeith Stanfield first. Uh, Lakeith Stanfield, this is, uh, I think, one of uh, our, our true great leading men of the future. And the thing about him and what I really love him in is sorry to bother you. He's such a great comedic leading man in that opposite Tessa Thompson. And when you think of him in that movie, uh, he would – I love Ice Cube as Craig, but – Lakeith Stanfield, damn it, he would not only be great as Craig, I, I think he would elevate the movie to new heights uh, uh, that maybe we didn't see in the original. That That's how good he is. And, um, uh, again, no knock on Ice Cube. Uh, dude, the, the guy can do no wrong, multi-talented musician, actor, producer, writer. But Lakeith Stanfield, I think, is uh, the ideal Craig in 2020. And Phil, Daniel Kalia. Well, <laughs> I, I will say, to, just to get ahead of myself here, there, you will not hear a counter argument against Lakeith Stanfield. Sure. He is one of my favorite actors working today. Uh, just an incredible talent, and obviously would would you know be able to to fulfill this role with no problems. However, what would be the better fit? And in my opinion, another great actor, Daniel Kaluuya, would would encapsulate that Craig role more. Uh, as far as I think about the eyes, the one-on-one scene with the dad, he can do comedy, uh, but at the same time, I envision him in those also all beats of the film uh, moving through it that Craig has as far as with the drama side too. With uh, Phil resting his case, Warren, do you want to make one last uh, Yeah, Yes. Uh, as much as I love Daniel Kaluuya, uh, he's a great actor. Uh, I, I He's... Just I don't think quite right for Craig. I think he would play the cop that's uh, you know maybe looking into the neighborhood. Uh, you know uh, he, he's he's uh, has a very white collar feel to him. I, I just that that guy's got screams Harvard Law when I mean he's just uh, he, he's got the golden boy look to me. Um, Lakeith Stanfield he can do that, but I think he's Lakeith a little... Stanfield he played a detective in Knives well, Out. He range. literally did the yeah. same the nah, same role no, you just but, said for Daniel. Well, no, but they they both have. Uh, I mean, you you 
dude, you do enough wrong. Hell, I've played a fucking cop. You act in Hollywood, you get a badge and a gun, okay? That's not ruling someone one way or the other. I'm just saying he more ideally. That's fair. I, I would say just from his appearance, he more plays that. Like, he Stanfield is a little rough around the edges, okay? Uh, and I could just see, yeah, see him uh, being a little bit more from the neighborhood, that neighborhood as opposed to Daniel Kaluuya. I, I think that both of these guys cast are, are fantastic, and they're both leading men at this point. So, I mean, putting either of them at the top of this movie is, it seems natural. It seems mm-hmm. a good fit. Daniel Kaluuya's got a certain innocence to him. I think he believes, uh, brings a, a more believable factor behind, you know, Craig not smoking um, you know, his parents and his upbringing and certain things about him kind of pushing him away from it. A little more but, squeaky clean, yeah. And I think that when we recast Craig, we're going to get a different character. We're going to get a completely different movie because yeah. we're never going to have Ice Cube in this role again. And when you look at trying to bring this neighborhood and trying to bring everything that it, it, it you know, tr- trying to bring this story full circle with polished actors. Gentlemen, you can, you can look at the card here. I had uh, Daniel Kaluuya circled on this he won but warren's argument for lakeith stanfield man brady-esque yes yeah <laughs> that's he stole wow, this one from you in the last minute here. that was I, I thought you had a great argument for the character uh i think that you represented him and, and absolutely changed my mind yeah so, warren takes this it's tough to argue with someone who never shuts up. So, yeah. uh, well, hey, man. Oh, listen, dude. <laughs> oh, don't be the did. sour grapes, man. I mean, I am coming off a complete ass thumping in last episode. <laughs> well, order you know, order yeah. in the court. Phil opted to rest his case after he argued for, you know, his character. So. I did. I did say. I, and I can't argue against Lakeith Stanfield. That's a great choice. You got me there, Judge. You, you, well, the great right. part, guys, is that we do have a tie on this. And um, as we discussed and I mentioned when we got to Mr. Jones, Mr. Jones is the tiebreaker. So, Phil, um, taking the big L this time. Taking the big L. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, you almost in my heart stop <laughs> that you're taking it from me. <laughs> After you thought I gave it back to you. Yeah, I was on out. <laughs> Victory! That's very nice. Love that, yeah. Gentlemen, well done. Uh, I loved it. You did some great job. Great work here tonight. Recasting court is adjourned. All right, quick fan theory. Not really a lot for Friday, but I have wanted that I just a question that I was asking myself. It's more of a question, and it's how much money does Smokey actually owe Big Worm? I, I think it's two hundred. It's a it's a good question. Uh, I didn't think about it till you said it, but because he doesn't take the initial hundred when he counts it, Big Worm just is like, hey, I need my $200. So that's, I think, I think Big Worm is big picture oriented. And I think he's just thinking he wants his $200. I don't think he's differentiating uh, the $100 difference because he didn't collect it from Smokey. See, I don't know if Big Worm actually ever says the amount that is owed. He just says, he just sees Smokey start to recount the hundred that he had. But so we know Smokey has a hundred, but then when Craig is going around asking, his mom, his sister, his girlfriend, quote unquote, for money, he asks for 200, implying that Smokey doesn't have any money. So is Smokey holding out on Craig, or is the debt not 200, but actually 300? I think Smokey's probably to. holding out on Craig. I mean, he doesn't want to spend all his money. That 100 bucks is maybe all he's got. It's so clear cut 200 in the movie and when you read about it online, but to me, I actually think it's $300. I don't think Smokey is holding out. I think that what he owes is $300. Mm. 
I think it's 200. Uh, that's because that's what the movie leads you. I think that's what you get from it. It's all about what you think from the movie, and that's what everyone. That's what perception's reality, and that's the perception people get from the movie when you read the, the the plot or uh, the you know the summary of the film. Uh, the 200 dollars. They never say 300. It's always 200. It's the spinning top from Inception. That's uh, from for Friday. That's what it is. It's that serious. We'll never know. And, and I think directors uh, mostly prefer it that way. Sometimes they don't want you to know. Sometimes they leave it up to the audience to, to make up your own mind. And we'll close out the episode discussing the legacy of Friday. Uh, this is one of the all-time great hangout movies. I mean, it's a day in the life. Uh, great characters, well-written characters, and great performances by the actors. And, and those are the contributing factors to it having such a high replay value. It's why you can just watch this movie. I mean... You can catch it on cable every day, or you know, uh, you know, one of the uh, HBO or Showtime live channels. It's on. You're you're going to watch it. Yes, that's true. But it's more personal, I would say, for us and a whole generation or generations at this point of twenty uh, something kids, essentially growing up. You know, for us, this was like the first wave of our generations of stoner movies. I, to put it in a you know blunt terms, no pun intended or maybe it was, uh, you had this film and Half Baked. Mm -hmm. I mean, those were the two movies that we kind of latched onto as a generation as far yeah. as our version of Cheech and Chong that we were a little too old, too young for, I would say, uh, that we, you know, in our college years or you know, our early 20s would, would watch over and over and over again that had that that high replay value. Yeah, that, and, and I think that also, and it's also the... Um it focuses on the positives of neighborhood life. And you, when you think about the movies with the high replay value that you want to watch over and over and over again, it's generally, it's not dark films. I mean, typically they're feel good movies or they're comedies and it's uh, movies that you just put on and you can have a good time for 90 minutes. Or no, in the, 90, the 90 minutes is a big thing. Yeah. Um, but even from that, you know, you look at like the legacy of the film and beyond the personal influence it had on us, uh, you look at the, the acting careers that it launched, which we touched on a bit earlier. I mean, of course, you know, Ice Cube, the first script that he got made, really cemented his status as a movie star. Uh, Chris Tucker's career was launched. Nia Long, Regina King. I mean, there's all so stars. many all-stars that were discovered uh, that, uh, that really I mean, even Michael Clark Duncan was an unaccredited extra, and he went on to become an Oscar-nominated star. So there's a lot of things that aligned very well uh, with the, you know, the, the soundtrack, the acting, the the quotability of it, the cult status of it. That just it's the really internet hard. Memes. Yeah, the internet memes. You look at the by Felicia. I mean, that's around you know 25 years later. Yeah, I mean, it's got a cult following. Not only the original film, but also the sequels. The film does have a, a feature film trilogy. Uh, the, the 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 first sequel, Next Friday, came out in 2000. Five years later followed by Friday After Next in 2002. Uh, and then there's even a fourth film that has been in discussion what? for years. Yeah, it's been in discussion for years. It's called, to keep with the the, 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 the naming convention, Last Friday, yeah, Ice Cube has said there's, you know, issues with the studio you know getting mm. it made it's just so it's kind of been stuck in you know quote unquote development hell for years or however what do you, what do you turn want to around call it? yeah turn around yeah so yeah. who knows if we'll actually get done there's even a completed script for that matter. Uh, don't even know where it is in the, uh, de the development phase. All time list. Uh, 
nominated for AFI and BFI list, American Film Institute and British Film Institute list, but ultimately no wins. I would think maybe a quote or two would have worked its way in there because we talked about probably the quotability of the film as one of its most endearing qualities. Uh, yeah, I, that's hard to believe. And I, there's a lot of you know stiff competition when it comes to quotability. Mm. So it, it's one of those where it just it may not have even been considered just given that it is for the most part, not known as a movie with a lot of uh, accolades or awards, accolades or awards that would be considered yeah, which exactly. the AFI. They probably tend to skewer more towards the prestigious Oscar films and no small compliment. Uh, one of, if not the greatest filmmaker of all time, Quentin Tarantino ranked Friday in his top 20 movies between 1992 and 2009. And when you look at the list, it's got it's just so many different films from so many different genres. All of them are great, and uh, that that is that's high praise. That's high praise. Probably the highest praise that you could give. Um, you know, when when your own peers respect you in that way, and you look at this was a first for a lot of people as far as the script, the directing by F. Gary Gray. Yeah, but guys like Quentin Tarantino are true cinephiles. Uh, like Martin Scorsese, they see everything, okay? They not only see American cinema, they watch movies from all over the world, everything that comes out, uh, they know movies, and for them to put you in the top 20 of a 17-year a, a, a period is, is a hell of a compliment. Absolutely. References of the film, 129 connections with other media. It was spoofed in Don't Be a Menace of South Central and Drinking Your Juice in the Hood. Replay value favorite. Love that movie. Scary movie. Uh, the Longest Yard also spoofed in. It's referenced in Money Talks in 1997, uh, Star Vehicle with Chris Tucker. Uh, also in How to Get Away with Murder Twice, Rush Hour 2, The Wash, I love that movie. No, oh, it's so good. We, yeah. got, we got to do that sometime, man. It's so good. Um, the Flash TV show, SNL a dozen times, and it was also referenced in Grand Theft Auto San Andreas and Grand Theft Auto V. And the critical consensus summed it up best when they said, quote, what Friday might lack in taut construction or directorial flair, it more than makes up with its vibrant humor and the charming, energetic performances of its leads, unquote. That is going to do it for this episode of Replay Value. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And if you love what you hear, take the time to rate, review, and share with a friend. You can follow us on Twitter at ReplayValuePod. We are available on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every other Tuesday, and we'll see you then. Bye! Bye. This has been a Waldo Pickles production. 